0: Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Black in Boston and Beyond, a podcast of the Trotter Institute at UMass Boston. I am Hetty V. Williams, your host. Today on Black in Boston and Beyond, we have Mario Rodriguez of My Brother's Keepers of Boston, My Brother's Keepers 617. Welcome to the show, Mario.
1: Thanks for having me on, Dr. Williams.
0: Thank you so much for taking some time out in your schedule today. We're going to talk a little bit about your organization and the work that your organization has done in Boston and continues to do. But first, let's hear a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your own background and how you got involved with the organization.
1: Uh, So I grew up in Boston, came over from the Cape Verde Islands, which is off the west coast, northwest of the coast of Africa, came here. And once I came here, I, I moved into a neighborhood that was kind of violent. Started out all right, but then it became more violent in the early 80s. And I got involved in it. I partook in the violence, which I'm not proud of today as a, as a as a man. Got to see the destruction that I was a part of. And I started doing everything I could to kind of stem some of the kids from getting involved and in making the same mistakes I did.
0: Yes, yeah, sure. That's, you know, understandable. We all we all should have a chance at redemption. And I think that's a lot. It seems that seems to be at core of your organization. So it's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you about this important group and the work it's doing in the Boston area. So tell us about the background of the group. How was it organized? How old is it? You know, a little bit of the background.
1: Sure. So a friend of mine, like I've been doing the community work for for a very long time now, just uh, doing gang mediations within my neighborhood, using my, uh, once I realized the reputation that I had and the influence that I had over the kids and the love and respect that I had from them, which I gave to them also, I started using that just to, you know, the kids together just to be able to talk about their problem before they resort to violence. And one of the young men that um I did end up becoming friends with, him and I started doing it together. And once we got a couple of the gangs to kind of sit down and talk and, and, and we asked them to just give us one summer of no violence, just so we can kind of take a, a breath and let the kids enjoy one summer, which it worked for that summer. And mm-hmm. then he wanted to work with kids and like try to prevent the next generation from getting involved in the gangs and carrying on the, the, the fighting. Um, and then he brought in four other men from the neighborhood that we're all friends with. And we started taking the kids out during the summertime. That same summer, started taking them out, letting them be kids, giving them what they call it's kind of a therapeutic to get them out, out and see different parts of the, the state, basically, and let them be kids. And, and sure. all self-funded from us, from us six. Wow, that's that's a powerful story. Oh, thank you. The kids came up with the name My Brother's keep Wow.
0: I want to talk about mentoring because it sounds like a mentor came into your life and kind of said, hey, you know, there's a different way or a different path and you're serving as a mentor to these kids in the city. Talk to us about a mentor in your life, a little bit more about maybe the person that influenced you, such as your friend, as you mentioned, and um, the importance of mentors is something I like to throw into most of my shows. If you don't mind telling us about the important uh, mentors in your own life.
1: Sure. So what what made me change was actually a kid. My brother's best friend was actually killed and he was an innocent kid. And I knew I knew him since he was a kid. He was much younger than me. Known since he was a kid. And I knew his father and all uh, just his death really, really stung and brought a lot of guilt out of me. But as far as mentorship, I can say that um, I've had a few people in and out of my life who basically kind of dropped a little bit of of knowledge and kind of guided me along the way and i think that that was with time that everything that certain these different individuals kept putting into my head eventually all came together after that that young man passed away
0: yeah and i think what you're telling us cuz i we i have a lot of students that listen to this show and you know graduate students so young adults and it's not as if a mentor is going to come to your door and knock on the door and say, hey, do you want me to be your mentor? It's more or less seeking people out that you watch and observe and see how they move through the world, I think. And I, I think that's an important point you're making about, hey, I saw these people in my neighborhood. I decided to say, all right, this shocking event, I have to turn things around. So we, I think we seek mentors out. But I think your organization is also saying there actually are a group of people who can mentor uh, young folks in the community. So tell us a little bit about how that happens. You know, how do you connect with the students? You know, what are some of the programs that you get involved with, with the the organization?
1: So the first group of kids that we had was actually all the kids from our neighborhood. Wow. Which there was about 23 of them. Mm -hmm. And they were all from, like our, the k ready community has about seven different gangs in it. We all used to be real close together, but then as time went by, it kind of started separating. But all of the kids came from these different neighborhoods that were few. And we wanted them with, you know, and we also talked to the guys from each neighborhood and like, look, let let us take the kids on, on trips from here and don't, you know, don't taint them yet. And they all agreed. So those the first group of kids that we started working with. And now since, you know, it's been, what, we started doing this in like 2014. Now the kids from, Every part of the city, and they find us one way or another. They find us. We do a lot of events too, like Christmas toy drive, where we where we um, show up to different neighborhoods and different houses, dressed as Santa Claus. We do Easter Bunny run, which we do the same thing. We do basketball tournaments, so they find us. We work with kids in court, so like that they can know their rights and the best decision that they should make. And we also like walk over things that they don't understand legally. So the sure. word kind of spreads in one way or another. They find us and no matter what it is, if they're looking for a job, looking to get into a trade, we help on.
0: Yeah, I saw that on your website, the job training dimension of the work that is done through your organization. I thought that was just fantastic. And I want us to also pause and tell the audience how they might support your organization. Tell us your website address or any other way. Could it even be some young people in the community listening to this uh, podcast? Where would they find you? How would they seek you out on the internet or some other means through the community? And also those listening who might want to be donors, how can they help you? How can they reach you? Tell us, give us
1: that information. So our website, mbk617.org, the donate, it's um the dollar sign like cash app. It's a mm-hmm. dollar sign donate nbk six one seven. The Venmo okay. is donate nbk six one seven, and on Instagram they can find us at on my brother's keeper six one seven. And I will share that information. I appreciate that.
0: Sure. In the show notes, uh, I'll make sure everybody listening can uh, find that information and uh, help this important organization out in the city. Now, you said when you started, basically you were reaching all of the. Uh, Young people in your neighborhood. Do you have an idea of how many young uh, young people you've reached since you started in twenty fourteen to the present? It Must be a
1: lot. It is a lot, and I'll tell you, Doctor Williams, that the between the six of us, right, okay. we were horrible at record keeping because we never intended to do that. Right, right. We just basically wanted to. You know to deal with these kids, and it, it even took a lot for us to even ask for for money. And it was actually my sister. After a couple of years of us doing it out of our pocket, that she said that you know my sister created a GoFundMe page. As on our record, we have we have about since then a, or a little over three hundred kids that we that we've dealt with through the kids in our neighborhood, through the kids from different neighborhoods, from the schools, from our job training, from DCF. But we were just horrible. We know it, we went well over 300, but we were just horrible at, at record keeping with these kids and taking their names and, you know, and looking at it as something that was a numbers game, especially with the grants. And, you know, but I, I know we work with well over 300 kids, but that's what we have on our records. When we did start saying, hey, applying for grants, we actually do need to have numbers and, you know, that's what the funders wanted to see.
0: No, I think that's important, but it's also, it was an organic grassroots organization, and that's customary, right? When you see a problem, you get up and you try to solve it. After the fact, many times we start to record. uh, And that's why this, this is why I wanted to have you on this podcast, because this is a part of the public record for your organization, right? Interview itself, and which... You know, we're documenting the story of the group so we can put it out there for the public to hear and uh, know how to reach you and find more about the organization, find out more about the organization. But you make a good point. While at the same time, this is how grassroots organizing often happens. If someone were to come to you and say, Hey, you know, how did you start this organization? I want to start one in my neighborhood. What would you say are some first steps?
1: I would tell them don't do it alone. And if they are gonna do it alone, start with about at least one or two kids. Don't overwhelm yourself. You said, like I said, with us, it was six of us, and it was still difficult to deal with, you know, over twenty-something kids and kids having, you know, a lot of different issues. So that would be the first step. And then the second is that we would tell them, and because we actually have done this several times, that we would help them However, we we could and let them kind of guide them from our mistakes, uh, you know, so they don't repeat the same thing. But we would we would walk them hand in hand and help them however we can. If it's by, you know, doing an event, an event for them or even paying for them to take the kids out, you know, like it, something as simple as like a so a basketball game or football game or to so a park like a amusement park. We tell guys this all the time and we just put it there and we don't force it upon them. But we just let them know, hey, we know that money has always been an issue of why we can't do things in the neighborhood. We don't sure. want to be a barrier for them.
0: Yeah, that, that that's absolutely true. I think that's one of the big barriers. And you mentioned grants, too, in terms of finding grants to support the work that you're doing. Uh, you know It's also important for anyone who's thinking about starting a similar type of organization. Are there affiliate chapters in other, other neighborhoods? Is there some thought about? Maybe branching out.
1: We've traveled to to New York. We've traveled to Chicago. We've been to L.A. We've been to Texas. And what we do is show them what we. They've all come out here. These guys from different neighborhoods and different states. They've come out here as well, and we tell them, "Hey, you know, if you ever want to uh, duplicate what we're doing here, we would help you start in your state, and we'll help you with whatever you need."
0: So. I'm wondering. You mentioned there's seven seven gangs in the um, in the Cape Verdean community that you mentioned. If I could ask you, what what makes somebody want to join a gang? Like, what, are, what if you were to speculate for that around that? What would be your um, response?
1: It's actually changed over the time. So when it first created, a, and I can only speak with with our neighborhood, it was primarily a different era and a different uh, issue. Where we were basically defending ourselves. Then it came down like further, became the kids watching us and watching the ones before me. They took part in it because they grew up on the street. We all know each other. They kind of simulate right into it. Yeah. And then up until now, now, uh, you know, some kids join through social media. It's the social media has changed things a lot. But a lot of kids, they find, they find the street exciting. Some use it for, music purpose the reasons have changed and some of it don't make sense because some of them find out that once they're in it just becomes a, a fast track down before they can even grasp what they're part of they're already you know been in so much issues that it's kind of hard for them to even try to get out of it yeah I was gonna already say that it might be a matter of how do I get out with kids like you know we've seen there were kids as young as um 13 years old that's already caused so much damage. To other people and to themselves, very smart kids, but they just things went out of control very fast. How do we help you try to deal with this? Even though some parts of them still love the street, and we've seen that even with kids that just came over from the islands, like they haven't even been here a year yet, and because they are, you know, the neighborhood is so us uh, so congested with with gangs and and um and violence, and they and and so no matter which street that they that they live on, they somehow start getting affiliated with with the, with that crowd, and they don't even fully understand like how long the the war has been going on and the feuding has been going on. It's painful to watch Wow, that's
0: you mentioned social media, so see, I'm totally naive on this, so you're saying that the different gangs recruit student you
1: know young people from social media. I'm not gonna say that they go and recruit on social media. I'm saying that some kids, while on social media, they get they get cool with some kids from different neighborhoods. Oh, okay, okay. And because they get cool with, with those kids from different neighborhoods, now they start hanging out with them and those kids are already from, you know, okay. They're from a they're from a hood. And from when I say a hood, I mean like they're from a block, they're from a gang, you know, and it's all from social media and then a lot of dispute happens on social media. Okay. And then that dispute on social media spills out into the street. I mean, you even see it with adults on social media arguing with each other. Sure. With um, adults, they kind of like, you know, they know how far they can take it. Mm-hmm. But but with kids, they you know, they can't even see next next year. And they don't have that conflict resolution skills. They don't have that anger management skills. And all they, you know, they feel like, you know, you're shaming me in public. I can't let you get away with that. And then it spills out into the street. So seeing that a lot. And, you know, I have a lot of nephews. I have a, you know, I have a lot of cousins and I still can't grasp it when they're telling me stuff like this. You know, a lot of the kids from my neighborhood and I'm like, you really, you're really going to war because this person said this to you on social media. Like it doesn't make no sense, but I'm not mm. here to shame any, any of the kids because they had their generation. They had their ways, but we can't go on 60 years of just chaos that keeps evolving. And even now, if it's evolving through social media, it's still their world. And I can't take that feeling away from them or take the way that the world is through their eyes. I can't take that away. Let's talk a little bit more about the
0: programs that your your organization offers in terms of conflict resolution, counseling, and things like that. How does your organization sort of tap into those resources and provide you know the youth in the city, do you work with social services or other agencies to facilitate that, or
1: is it just volunteers? We haven't found a counselor right because one I don't know any, but we've tried to try to find some some of these um kids and 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 young adults as as high as you know as twenty three twenty four years old who are, who has a lot of trauma. It's always an issue with, with insurance. Some of these people, you know, some of these kids and young men don't have insurance. Sure. So we haven't been able to tap into that. And then there's a lot of, you know, clause with counselors, you know, like if they work for an organization is that they just can't sit down and talk to a kid. So we don't have any of that, but that's something that we still trying to find a way to partner up with an organization. Like if we can find a way um, get these guys some counseling and these kids some counseling. Cause even, even if the, the guys as high as that, like in the thirties, you know, the older they are, the, the more they've been through. Sure. As juveniles, as jail, prison, the amount of death that they've been through, that they've seen, uh, that they've witnessed, relationships, how to deal with that. They, they pack in a lot. They pack a lot. And I, I've been lucky enough to have people in my life to kind of help me understand a lot of it, you know, a lot of the trauma that I deal with, you know, but a lot of these guys don't.
0: Yeah, I think that's important, too. We got to give a shout out to your organization again in terms of how people can reach out, because there could be somebody listening to the show today who might be a professional counselor or social worker and might have some, you know, willingness to volunteer, but also some technical support to help your organization access these resources so i hope hopefully everyone listening today will look at the show notes and see how we can support this uh important boston grassroots organization now does your organization only work with young men do you work with young women as well or
1: so we didn't want to work with young women right because one is that we're all we're all men and we wanted to work with the boys because they have a lot going on, right? And we didn't want those boys to be mixed in with girls. Because now, when we go on day trips, the boys can kind of show out, sure, for the girls. And we don't want them to. It's kind of hard to explain, but we don't want them to, you know, start issues with each other over a girl, over a girl. Not that the girl is going to cause the problem, but you know, oh man, sure. it's like now, it, it's even like so sensitive to even say certain things, but. We didn't want to mix them, mm-hmm. you know, like we wanted the boys to sure. just to stay, to stay as focused as they could mm-hmm. and not get distracted. We didn't want sure. that. And then it's like, these are girls. We don't know what young girls are going through. We don't have that same emotion. Yeah, we know we, we know that, you know, we we're here to, to help them as well and protect them um, and, and guide them as in, like as a nurturing male. But we've always asked the girls in our neighborhood, the young, the, the young women in our neighborhood, like, "Hey, why don't you start a uh, my sister's keeper and deal sure, with the girls?" Sure. You know, we've had several girls from our neighborhood come up and even ask, but it would kind of start and then it would kind of stop. It would kind of start right. and would, like, yeah. "Hey, like, look, we don't even, we don't even mind." And we've trademarked that also. My brother's, my sister's keeper six one seven. That's part of our mm-hmm. trademark. Mm-hmm. So we've had that, but we want young women. To lead that if that makes right. any sense without me even I don't know I don't want to say I don't want to put a foot in my mouth because like, mm-hmm. no I, I understand
0: I, and I'm sure people listening do that That you're focusing on the young men for a reason because that is something that parallels your own experiences and, and, and where you have the experience I, I think that's a fair and valid you know point to make and hopefully we get the my sister's keeper 617 you know, flourishing soon. You yes. know? Somebody will step up. Hopefully somebody listening to this uh show today will step up, you know?
1: Hopefully. We'll reach out to you and your your email. But we, we have taken um when we're doing when we're going on like on a trip, we don't deal fully with all, you know, gang involved kids anymore. We deal with like an array it. of kids. And so when we're going on a trip, when we're going on a trip and there is a a little girl that wanna come with us, we, we take them. You know, we take them now, um, but this is when we first started. It was like it was very crucial when we first started. But we would still definitely love just for the girls to have their, their older mentor as well. Sure. I think it's
0: very important work. And, and I'm, I'm sure someone will see the model that your organization has set forth and will we'll follow up. Let me ask you, as we get to the close of our conversation, what do you see is the the current greatest challenge to young men living not only in Boston, maybe just more generally in society? Like, what is one of the great challenges maybe of the some, some of the young men that you deal with when they come to you? What are their greatest challenges and or problems?
1: Deal with an array of, of issues, that critical thinking of controlling themselves and thinking things fully through. That's been one of the main, like one of the main issues is just the arguments, the, the consistent arguments with different people, with, you know, with, with someone young having an argument with someone else. And then that argument ends up turning violent. And then because those two individuals did not know how to resolve their issue, those two individuals have now affected a lot of other kids' lives also because now they're fighting with each other. Two individuals becomes two groups and that causes that, it causes a lot of havoc. And I've seen that over and over, like to a point, you know, you get um kind of frustrated because like simple things that could have just been resolved, especially when they're friends. And now because you're friends, now you're breaking up a friendship, not just amongst you two, the two of them, but a friendship amongst a lot of other people who's picking sides.
0: Yeah, and I think social media has contributed to it, the conflicts. A lot. A lot. So I think that's true. So with the pandemic, what sort of um impact has that had? Maybe has it sort of made some of these challenges worse and was the organization able to maybe benefit from uh, some grants and support, you know, to help with the challenges of COVID and,
1: and the city? The thing that's, that kind of messed us up was like we had to stop the day trips. I mean, the summer trips. Okay. Since everything was closed. So that kind of like we were catching steam. And then when that, mm-hmm. everything shut down, we had to kind of slow it down and then it and then it, it started taking us time it took away that steam from us sure and i had a personal i had a personal business repairing machines and that kind of uh i had to shut that down because i worked in a lot of schools and um cafes so that kind of took me out of out of business and then it made me have to struggle in my personal life so that kind of that kind of took away a little bit from the program as far as myself but that was our biggest our biggest hurdle. It kind of took away a lot of our steam. Sure. I mean, we
0: all, even the academics, academia is, you know, struggling. It's, we're still trying to come back, I guess, uh, you know, post COVID, I guess. But in terms of outcomes, um, as we end on this question, how has the program that you built impacted this community of young people? What would you say are some of maybe your greatest achievements, with the organization,
1: um, I would say the kids that did not take part in in the in the gang activities that decided to stay away from it. We had a few kids that decided to go on to college and doing very well for themselves. Great. The amount of people that have graduated from the construction program those are our biggest achievements.
0: Yeah, I, I when I went on your website too, I really I thought that was cool that you had implemented this jobs training program into all the other things that you do, including the day trips, summer trips, the mentoring. And I went across and I said, "That's really that's really great." You know that that piece is there. You should be proud of yourself and the, and the men that you're working with, and the group that you formed. And uh, I want to thank you so much for being a guest on Black and. Boston and beyond and remind us again of your website and the ways that we can contact your organization to make a contribution
1: and support your uh, cause. So mbk617.org is our website. Mm -hmm. Our IG is mybrotherskeeper617. Our cash App is money sign donate mbk617. And our Venmo is donate mbk617.
0: Well, Mario, I want to thank you so much for for being on the show today and um, sharing this information uh, with us about your organization, My Brother's Keeper 617. I will share this information with the audience in the, the show notes. And again, thank you so much.